All right, welcome back to the 10 Tabs Open Podcast. This is Alex Howell, and today we have episode six. Uh, we had on Corey Gallagher, who is a, uh, he's been a teacher and administrator in um, some private schools and uh, universities in the Kansas City area. Corey's an absolutely amazing person, and he's actually pursuing his uh, PhD in American Cultural History from the, uh, from the University of Missouri. The reason that I wanted to have uh, Corey on from the very beginning is because he has a way of one just explaining any story that makes it 10 times better than most of your friends can explain stories but two if you think about like when you're listening to this podcast put yourself in in the seat of a student now, obviously this is two friends talking so there's going to be a little bit of a conversational difference but put yourself in the position of a student who is lucky enough to have this guy as a, a history teacher because what Corey brings to the table is the ability to talk about history in a way that makes it fun and a way that makes it real to look at the individuals that were there look at the situations that they were facing and actually talk about what that history meant. Now, not to mention that he had to read hundreds of books uh, in his pursuit of his master's and his PhD. The guy has historical knowledge. <laughs> like I, He's probably forgotten more about history at this point than I will ever learn in what is hopefully a century of life. But Corey, is, uh, he's been a good friend of mine since I think about 2009, and um, pretty much every time we get together, my, uh, my stomach hurts the next day because I've been laughing so hard. So again, Corey Gallagher, hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Sorry for, uh, for the technical issues. We lost about the first half of the conversation because, uh, well, I guess growing pains with, uh, with this technology. So hopefully I'll get a little bit better at that, uh, free up some memory in my computer so it doesn't just drop half of the file, and uh, we'll have Corey on next time so we can hopefully redo the first part of the conversation. But Corey Gallagher, uh, hope you all enjoy. And we're back talking about rounding up hobos. <laughs> so, I mean, so we were talking about this when we took the break, but like we're getting to like the transitional period of FDR's presidency where it's like he's doing the things like for society. Like I'm trying right. to at least like, you know, I'm trying to restart an engine and it's kind of fucked up. Oh, totally. Yeah. So then there's World War Two and Pearl Harbor and all of that. But I've got to assume, I mean, his presidency, everything historically that I've watched, listened to, or read says that even though a lot of people are like, well, we really hope Hitler isn't a bad guy. Oh, yeah. Right. Everybody knew Hitler was a bad guy. They didn't want to admit it, though. Yeah. You know, World War One was so terrible. People didn't want to think that could happen all over again yeah. so soon. And yeah. there you go. Yeah. So it's just a, it's an interesting, I mean, there are so many conspiracy theories that he knew about. Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Like, well, this is how we get it going again. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they definitely knew there was the possibility of something happening. Yeah. You know, I think that's very clear. But I think that idea that, like, you know, they knew it was coming, and yeah. I think that's, I think that's ridiculous yeah. because, because you know, ultimately, right? Like, if the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor and we beat the shit out of them, we're still at war. Yeah. Right. Like, that's not going to slide. Right. You're not going to ignore that. Right. So, so there was no reason to lose mm -hmm. if you didn't have to. Mm -hmm. You know. So, yeah. So, I, th I think that's probably way blown out of proportion but. that's fair enough i um before i read that teddy roosevelt book yeah um, and this would have been um colonel roosevelt the third yeah. one 
uh, where Woodrow's in, and he, of course, like tried to keep quiet, and that lasted five seconds, right. I think, <laughs> the guy's yeah, presidency. Right. But I always equated the sinking of the Lusitania to not equal in the minds that we have video of Pearl Harbor, right. so it's always gonna, there's always going to be that sting. But I always equated it historically to being like Pearl Harbor, but Woodrow Wilson, I thought it was immediate. Like they no, sank it, we're in. No, it and he like, didn't. He like hung like on. Six months later. Yeah. 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 It was really when the um British gave us the Zimmerman. Zimmer. I can never remember if it's Zimmer or Zimmerman. Yeah. Uh telegram. Yeah. Zimmerman, bad, bad name in America right now. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the uh the it, the German ambassador to Mexico, it was his last name. That's right. And he had sent supposedly a telegraph basically telling the Mexicans that if they started a war to keep us busy, that once world war two or once world war one was over, that Germany would help Mexico retake the lands that we took from them in the Mexican American war. Uh, there's actually been a lot of thought that this is probably made up by the British. Really? Because it was intercepted by them, quote uh. unquote, and they gave it to us. So maybe they just invented it to get some help. Um, but that's kind of what ends up being the like final straw in yeah. all of this. Yeah. So it is what so this kind of goes back to that idea of like that black and white version of, of history, right? Is like, yeah. well, the Lusitania gets sunk and now we were at it, right? Yeah. But really it was like all these little things. Mm-hmm. You know, and in some it's it's kind of funny because if you take the Zimmerman telegraph out of it, in some ways, it's almost comical that we end up involved in World War One. Because yeah. really what ends up causing it is submarine warfare in the northern Atlantic, mm-hmm. right? And Americans kept getting on boats and kept going to Britain and kept getting sunk mm-hmm. along the way. And when the Germans decided that this was going to be their war strategy, that they were basically going to try to starve Britain by sinking everything that went there, mm-hmm. the Germans actually took out an ad, a full-page ad for a week in the New York Times Telling Americans, in case you didn't know, Europe is a war zone. And if you get on a boat (laughs) headed to Europe, there's a good chance you're going to get sunk. That's the nicest way to kill people ever. Uh, Isn't it? Yeah. We're going to do it, but stay home if you can. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when there's too much snow on the road and they're like, stay inside if you can. Yeah. If you can. Totally. But you're probably going to die. And so the, the Germans are actually really kind of pissed off when we get into the war as a result of some of these things because they're like, we warned you. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with these Americans? Did they not realize a war is happening over here? <laughs> we took out an ad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, incredible. But there you go. That's the most amazing international relations strategy I've ever heard. That totally sounds like something that would had like that would happen today. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, we just got on Google AdWords and explained to everybody <laughs> yeah. that if they come over here, they'll die. I don't know right. what the problem is. We started a Facebook page. Exactly. We try to invite you to a group. That way you see it more often. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's amazing to me that that a a nation relies on the same medium of communication like the Sears Roebuck. Oh yeah, like a na- like that's a country. An entire country is like, yeah. you know what we got to do? 
New York Times ad. Or we'll, Sears we'll Roebuck. They sell a shitload of stuff. We'll just take out an ad. Yeah, what we should have done is the catalog. We fucked up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catalog. All the ways you'll die. Exactly. On a boat. Which boats we're attacking. Right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, warfare to me is interesting just in general because like it's happened throughout time. Sure. Duh. Absolutely. But it's always somebody basically... It almost looks like people that aren't comprehending what could happen and one person making a dick move. Oh, yeah. Like, it's right. always one moment that you can go down to, like, Franz Ferdinand in World War One. Yeah. One guy gets killed, and then everybody tries to kill each other. Right. Right. One guy. Like, yeah, important guy. Sure. Oh, but sure. one guy, and then... Ten nations were just like, well, I'm allied with them. Well, I'm allied with them. Well, I'm allied with them. Well, I'm not allied with them. Like, I feel like Switzerland's probably the smartest country in the entire world. It's like, fuck all of you people. And they keep avoiding it, too. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Although when everybody keeps their illegal money in your country, that probably gives you a leg up on all that. Well, and that tells you what it's all about and like in the end anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> Don't disrupt the business model. Yeah. It's like, is it John Oliver, the host last week tonight? Yeah. And he has that joke about like, what do Swiss people like more than anything? It's like, well... Chocolate and Nazi gold. <laughs> you can't take either of those away. They really love them. Those are their favorite things. Mm -hmm. And it's true. But they, like, how many, like, Swiss soldiers have been killed? Zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they know what they're doing. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I mean, it is, it's incredible how much um, warfare can be sort of, like, spawned by one person. Yeah. Which, again, goes back to sort of the fear yeah. with the whole Trump thing is, like, one guy could start mm -hmm. World War Three pretty easily. Yeah. And why did we give one person that fucking power? Yeah. The FDR, the famous speech when he goes to Congress, like a day which will live in infamy. Mm -hmm. Like he's talking to Congress. Yeah. He's asking him to declare war. Like right. we were directly attacked by a nation that had already declared war on us. Yeah. I mean, imagine <laughs> what would happen today. We would immediately not bomb think twice no right wouldn't be constitutional it'd just be let's go no, kill them just go do it let's kill them for about 20 years <laughs> <laughs> we will we'll, incompetently kill we'll, people we'll sprinkle years. some democracy seeds over there i think right. it'll grow just hope fine. they take i think that's yeah. how it works well it's like i mean we've talked about like some of the different nations that have avoided in, in different ways but it's always amazing to me that russia too is just that one fucking nation that they can like threaten because they will do worse to themselves than they will to anyone else. Yeah. Like Russia will literally kill as many people as they can of your people. Right. And if their killers turn around to try to escape, they'll kill them. Right. Like that's actually happened in history that the nation was like, hey, go fight for us or we'll kill you. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the strangest thing in the world to me that that occurs. Yeah. It's it, it, or when you think about the fact like this is. I find this sort of fascinating is you have two times in which Russia gets invaded mm -hmm. once by the Germans in world war two. And then once by Napoleon. Yeah. Right. And in both cases, the strategy was we'll just keep retreating. And as we're retreating, we'll burn everything yeah. so that they don't have food. And then winter will set in and we'll annihilate them. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, millions of people will die. Yeah. 
But you know, oh well, oh wow, well. we got there's more. more we got people. millions more, yeah. right? Well, and that's that scorched earth policy is interesting. That book that I told you that I read, but Napoleon just never really interested me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know why. He's got a very interesting life. Sure, he just never absolutely. really his story never really clicked with me. But the one thing that was interesting was reading about that because he got into Moscow. Yeah, oh yeah. He was there. He took it. Absolutely. And they were still burning the fucking city. Yeah. Like the parts that he hadn't taken, they were just burning to the ground. Absolutely. They were like, what are you going to do to us? Yeah. We're burning our own town. Right. You have nothing on us. We're (laughs) crazy. You have no food. Right. It's winter. Half your army doesn't have legs anymore because they've all frozen to the ground Mm -hmm. or frozen off. And we're burning our own city, which has all the stored supplies. Right. So your move, asshole. Good luck. Yeah. And he did. He just had to go like... All yeah, right, they're burning dude. near the palace, so I guess we're out of here. You win. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, you have to kind of hand it to the Russians that with no real, like, the advantages that other countries have, yeah. they really don't. Yeah. And they've managed to be a significant force on world history for the last 200 years. Yeah. For no apparent reason whatsoever. Mm-mm. I mean, at one point it was people, right? They just had they more just had people, a lot of people than anybody. Right, yeah. More land and more people. Bad land, but more land and but, more people. But that gives you, you know, at least up until the modern age, that gave you a significant leg up. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, lots of people. Yep. Can get done. Was it Peter the Great was the super tall guy yeah. that kind of transformed them into more of a European yes, power? Yes, yes, yeah. Freed the serfs, did yep. all that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah. I just love the story about that guy at like six, seven walking around Europe like nobody's gonna recognize me in an right. era where everybody's five foot tall. Yeah, the tallest person <laughs> ever born. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean it it's an interesting place. It's an you know, and I would actually like to travel there, not because I like love the country or anything like that, but it's Moscow. It's beautiful. It's yeah, St. Petersburg, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. For sure. But like their history is especially in warfare is just absolutely insane. The relationship with us, it's like there is no outside of individual leaders, which we keep going back to. It's like outside of individual leaders, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong here. We're not necessarily natural enemies. No, not at all. There's no, like there's nothing that they have that we need or we We have have that they need beef at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't outside of communism and Stalin and that right. kind of just, and I know it goes back to Lenin and everything too, but that kind of general mentality of that's what we need to do outside right. of that. There's nothing that makes us natural enemies. No, no, no. But it really is. In a, it is that fear of Marxism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, and some of this is also fueled by the Russians too. You know, they have this constant fear of being invaded for good reason. Yeah. Right, they have this constant fear of the fact that they don't have a year-round saltwater port, which creates all sorts of interesting problems. I guess they don't. Yeah, yeah. so think about know, that. A lot of the things that they do in the world is to an attempt to somehow gain that. Right. Yeah. It's almost like if we could just give them turkey, everything would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because. <laughs> They would be cool. They'd have access to salt water all year round and it would be fine. And they wouldn't be worried about being bottled up the way that they have been for the last two, 300 years. Yeah. I've told Nikki several times, and I think you make a better argument than this, but I told Nikki several times, like, I have a really good idea for like the two, like us, like the one, a superpower, the one B superpower in China and then Russia, Mm -hmm. who I think will still consider themselves a superpower. I think we all need to get together. Have a conversation. We need to show them the Monroe Doctrine. Just be like, you need to give 
Cuba back to us. Sure. You need to stop messing around there. We'll pull back a little bit. Russia, and my original thought was, you can have the Crimea. I don't care. But now it might be like, just take Turkey. Sure. All good. And then (laughs) (laughs) me, the libertarian, is like, we should totally invade all these places. But, uh, and then China, like, if you're worried about North Korea and us getting inching a little closer to you, go ahead and take it. It's all good. (laughs) You get the F out of our space. We'll get the F out of your space. Everything's fine. And it's like, it's so much more complicated than that, but that gives us Cuba back. Well, (laughs) and this sort of leads to like another fallacy in our, in our understanding of the world, which is we look at, you know, not as much now because there just aren't that many communist countries anymore, but we, we saw communism as this all encompassing specter creeping across the earth. Right. Yeah. But that's but that wasn't it at all, you know. There were many times throughout the Cold War where the Russians and the Chinese were at odds with each other. But we yeah. didn't see that. We just assumed they were all working from the same playbook. Yeah. And so like the thing with North Korea, you know, I think sometimes we look at China and we're like, well, what are you gonna do about North Korea? And they're like, What the fuck do you want us to do? They're crazy people. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. There's a reason you know? that even they like blockade sometimes. Absolutely. Like, Get the yeah. fuck out of here with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> And that's that's sometimes I think that we miss the fact that one of China's primary goals, especially in Southeast Asia, but on the Korean Peninsula also, yeah, is just not to create a humanitarian crisis, yeah, that ends up flowing into China, yeah, and that's kind of always their deal with North North Korea, yeah, because like, they think if something happens and they're freed, everybody's leaving, every, yeah, absolutely, yeah, like absolutely. fuck this, we and don't I, even. We have been taught that this guy is God and you just killed him. Right. Like, what's going to happen to this country? And and that's also kind of their concern with us getting into warfare with North Korea. It's like, I seriously doubt they really care all that much about the Kim family. Oh, no. Right? What they really care about is us destabilizing that government and them ending up with 5 million refugees on their border. Yeah. Right. And our argument would be, but you already got 1.6 billion people. What's another five million? Well, right. Yeah, yeah, that would be our argument. But they don't. They see don't it see it that way. way. No. Well, and, and I, uh, I read a little bit of, um, and I might be getting this wrong, but it's Mike Malice or Mark Malice. He wrote a book called Dear Reader, hmm. and it's all about um, uh, who was the one that Kim Jong Il. Yeah. Kim Jong Un's the one there now, but yeah, Kim Jong Il was Jong-il before. Was yeah. Dad, yeah. And he talks about that, but he also talks about just Korea in general. And one of the things that I didn't realize. Um, but he, like, it was basically just like fact check after fact check yeah. after fact check. Here's what you've heard. Here's the truth. Here's what you've heard. Right. Here's the truth. And one thing I didn't realize was both North and South Korea mm-hmm. want to be Korea. Yes. They absolutely. want just to come together. Right. Yeah. But they're just so far apart politically that it can't happen. Right. But that's the weird thing that we don't understand. Like, even though there's the, D- the DMZ and it looks like they hate right. each other and they'll like grab people from South Korea and bring them to North Korea. Yes. They actually want it all to be together. They just want it all to be together on their terms. Right. Absolutely. And that's something that I don't think most people understand. Right. And that creates a really weird circumstance. If you're talking about the Alex Howell version of foreign policy, you're like, here, Johnny, you can have them. Right. 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 Like, yeah. Because they don't want absolutely. that. They no, want they to be with South that. Korea. No, that, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. You know, Vietnam is actually sort of an interesting story too. Mm-hmm. Kind of for sort of, sort of similar reasons, right? Because you have a communist government take over the North. Mm-hmm. You have a pro pro free market, not pro democracy, Really, yeah, very Catholic government take over the South, yeah, right? 
in attempts to find leadership in South Vietnam that would actually stand up to the North Vietnamese in a competent way. Mm -hmm. We assassinate their president. We overthrow another (laughs) one. Right? We end up losing that war, which is interesting because the North Korean or the North Vietnamese, when they declare their independence from France, their declaration of independence is basically copied from our declaration of independence. The North North Vietnamese. North Vietnamese. Wow. Yeah. Because at that point they were like, we don't really know what we're going to do, but we do know that we want independence and America is your preeminent revolutionary power. And Woodrow Wilson said that. And Woodrow Wilson said all this (laughs) shit about being free. Right. (laughs) And so, so they're trying to like sort of copy it and and say like, yeah, we're in the same vein as your founding fathers. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. And we're like, no, fuck you. You know? And, So you have this like weird situation where you have a communist power rise in Vietnam that is communist largely in name only. Yeah. Right. Very similar to the Chinese. At this point, is there any, and just, and I know that this isn't a crazy, like you have to tell me the truth or anything, but at this point, is there any chance that if we would have just been like, Hey, cool. That's awesome. But you got to get rid of the communism part. Yeah, they would have totally gone along with us. Oh my! God. We had the same opportunity <laughs> in Cuba, by the way. You awesome. know, Fidel was not a communist when the when the revolution starts. Yeah, he also thought that the United States would be on the side of the people trying to overthrow their dictator. Yeah, which is where Vietnam was too, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where it's interesting because these these developing nations greatly misunderstood our revolution, right? Yeah. We have a revolution. We have a revolution. It is probably the only revolution in all of human history that's not actually revolutionary. Mm -hmm. We have a war. We have a revolution. We overthrow our government and replace it with the exact people who were in charge before. Yeah. Right? That never happens. Yeah. So so we have this super conservative version of a revolution. Mm -hmm. And then you have these countries that are going through these independence fights, expecting us to come to their aid um, and to be on their side where we're really as a country more interested in maintaining the status quo. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure after the French revolution, we were pretty gun shy about that. Oh, hell yeah. When it's like, Oh, you murdered your dictator and put his head right between his legs and sent that image around the world. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you kill the guy that was the leader of the revolution Mm -hmm. with another pseudo revolution. Right. Like, and how does the French Revolution end? Napoleon takes over. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up right back where you started. Exactly. Except you have a smart dictator instead of a dumbass dictator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's so I can understand the gun shyness, but like it does seem like there is a period of time in that mid 1900s mm-hmm. yeah. time where we're just looking around. We're ready to overthrow some shit. We see, but not in the right place. No, no. We see <laughs> we see problems everywhere we look, and we're not really we're having a difficult time identifying where our friends are. And a lot of that, I think, actually has to do with ethnicity. Yeah, I think America of the mid 1900s is really incapable of looking at non-white people and seeing them as having the same desires. Yeah, but um, Russia didn't have that problem with Cuba. Russia didn't have that problem with Cuba. No, because that. Because they're 90 miles from Miami. Right, right. And and the other thing, too, you know, Cuba is sort of an outlier because Cuba really is a part of the Russian orbit because it's so dependent on them. Yeah. Vietnam wasn't that way. Mm -hmm. You know, China definitely wasn't that way. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite um, 
historical actors is Tito, the yep. dictator of Yugoslavia, right? Because uh-huh. after the World War One ends or World War Two ends, and we institute the Marshall Plan, and we're like, hey, free money! All you have to do is rebuild your country, right? And all the Russian, all the communist black countries said no. Tito was like, oh, you're giving away free money? Yeah, I'll take free money for my people. And the Russians are like, dude. <laughs> we told you not to do that. And he's like, you got money? I'm like, no, we don't have money. Well, I'm taking their money then. Yeah. And they were like, well, we're going to overthrow you. It's like, you're not. <laughs> you're just not. Probably not going to happen. It's great. That It's interesting to me, that argument that you just made, I had a flashback to the, I think it was 2016 primaries for the Republican Party. And one of the things that John Kasich was just bashed about was the fact that when Obamacare came out, he allowed like the Medicare plan to come into his yeah, state. Yeah. Because one, it's fucking Ohio. Right. You have to. But two, he was like, yeah, that was our money. Yeah. We weren't getting it from anybody else. No. And it was our money anyway. So fuck yeah, we said yes. Right. And I was just like, oh yeah, that makes way more sense. So it just, it, I just, yeah. th- that totally, I know, took us completely no, out no, of what you were talking no, about. Okay. But it just cracked me up that it was like, well, yeah. it's like you, do you have it? Oh, no? Okay. They do. Yeah. Peace out. Have a great right. have a great time invading us, though. Sure, it'll be fun. Yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, it never happened. No. Right? Because the Russians, at the end of the day, were scared of Tito. But yeah. And they created the best car in mankind. That's right. The Yugo, baby. That thing's a beast. <laughs> but that's, you know, we, we have this sort of fundamental misunderstanding of what communism was, what it meant in different places, what these countries want. You know, it's... Like the the hatred around Fidel Castro is so interesting to me because Fidel Castro was so far in the cultural orbit of America, he was basically an American, mm-hmm. and unable to recognize that we we just completely screwed up our relationship with Cuba when it would have been very easy to have a positive relationship with them. And who was the president that was around during the time where we were fucking this up? Was it JFK or was it Eisenhower? It was Eisenhower, then JFK. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know the Bay of pigs was pretty much the that was thing that sealed the deal. Yeah. 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 But you know, like when you look at the 1950s, right? Fidel Castro had two options in life. Mm-hmm. He had become involved in the revolution that was happening in Cuba, and he could, could continue to be an important person in that. Or he could accept the contract he got to go pitch for the New York Yankees. Oh Fidel Castro was drafted as a pitcher by the New York Yankees. In fact, in the middle of the, the Cuban revolution, the oh Yankees go to Cuba. <laughs> the Yankees go to Cuba to play against the Cuban national team, Fidel has his troops storm the stadium in the middle of the game so that he can go out and pitch. I think it was Mickey Mantle who he ended up striking out. And then he, he drops the glove and he walks out, has his troops leave. So, you know, it's like, like the, the man loved baseball. There's what the fuck more are we American doing? Than loving baseball, <laughs> right? And instead of becoming a professional baseball player, he leads a revolution. Which is all to say that that there were lots of openings to resolving that without the way that we went, right? And the same is true of Vietnam. Absolutely, the Vietnam War didn't need to happen. Well, see, this is the thing that if you just said what you told me in the last two minutes in front of like, like behind a lectern, on stage, 
with Democratic opponents mm-hmm. or Republican opponents, you would be booed out of the fucking hall. Probably, Because yeah. you said one, not even, like, this one semi-positive thing and Fidel Castro. Right, right. Like, and that goes to what you were saying a few more minutes ago than that was we have a huge, horrifying misunderstanding of history. Absolutely. And... Like, as Americans, we can't, like, you know, Obama was always accused of going on an apology tour. Right. Like, he's just apologizing for everything. Right. It's like, I'm not saying you need to go around the world apologizing, but your citizens better damn sure understand what we've done. Yeah. Like, and that's not even saying, like, look at it as a, in a negative way. Look at it as a positive way. But know what happened. Absolutely. Know that we had these things. Learn from it. Well, and, it, and it's kind of like, you know, this is going to be a very unpopular opinion i'm about to state (laughs) and in no way am i saying that this should have happened right this is a horrible thing that happened but anyone who was surprised by what happened on september 11th just hasn't been paying attention yeah right like like, the uss cole happened three years before that or something the first world trade bomb 93 yeah. yeah happened years before that it's like we had been you know we have been on a path with this extremist element within Islam for a while. Yeah. And to not expect that to result in something terrible at some point. Yeah. Was to totally misunderstand what was happening. Yeah. Well, I know like I've heard experts on like Bill Maher's show and like people like Ron Paul talk about like CIA documents where, you know, the question is always like, why do they hate us? Right. Why? Why are we so unpopular? It's like, because we're fucking there. Right. They yeah, don't absolutely. give a shit about us. If no. we just hung out on our side of the world, they wouldn't give a fuck. They'd be like, those crazy Americans and their Kardashians. Right. That's weird. But instead, we're just like, you know what? Let's go over. Who are we going to bomb this time? Ah, let's find some reasons. And I don't doubt that there are legitimate reasons to take right. actions. Like I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to protect people. You shouldn't go to protect human rights. You shouldn't do those kind of things. Right. What I am saying is... We just happen to find ourselves in those situations a whole lot of times. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy that the largest country in the entire world feels like it needs to get itself involved in all that. Right. And again, if you want to give a humanitarian cause, I'm right there with you. If if you're saying that, like, we can absolutely stop something if we do this, I'm absolutely with you. Right. But we're like the boy who cried wolf at this point. Yeah, no, totally. (laughs) Yeah, we constantly find ourselves in these situations and then are surprised when it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, well, duh. Yep. What did you think was going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and again, this is... And then we stay. So much of this is from misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, we misunderstood... Uh, you know, Korea was another country that sent a delegation to the Versailles Treaty negotiation to try to find their freedom from Japan. Yeah. Right? You know, it's... We have this historical misunderstanding of these countries that we interact with. We see them just in a vacuum. Yeah. And we're unable to see that sometimes the things that look like something global Mm -hmm. is actually much more local. Yeah. Just cast in this global happening. Mm -hmm. And and then we get ourselves into a situation we can't figure out a way to get out of. Yeah. And that's what's happened to us over and over and over again. Yeah. And then there's Canada that's basically us but nice. Yeah. That doesn't seem to really have these problems. Yeah. It's amazing that they don't have the enemies that we do. Yeah. I wonder why. (laughs) The the State Department always says, you know. And they have 13 people. It is safe to go to this country, but do not identify as an American. Identify as Canadian. Exactly. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, Family Guy has a, a, a episode, and my wife would just shake her head if she heard this part because I always reference that show or South sure. Park or something. Yeah, I have the same problem. Yep. Yeah, but where they're overseas, and Brian like puts on a cap with the with the maple leaf on yeah. it, like just the Canadian flag. It's like Stewie looks up and is like. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, but it is interesting. Like, you would think that we, like, we've been at war. We've, like, what's it, like, the Mexican-American War, which I told you in the past, like, one of my favorite presidents is James K. Polk. Yeah. Because he came into office, was like, just let me in for four years and I'll do these four things. Right. And he did. Like he was the first president. It was just like, start a war with Mexico. (laughs) And great. Yeah. I'll just go. It wasn't like, it's the Mexican American war. I get that. It's a real war. I know lives were lost, but it's also kind of him just being like, we own this now. Right. (laughs) That's really what it was. Yeah. Like it wasn't like he sat there and just said like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go in. We have the strategy. It's like, no, this, uh, that's ours. Right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And we need it for trains. Or if, something. if I remember right. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll, It'll be, be good. Right. You don't need it that much. And they were like, uh, yeah, but it's ours right now. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. Okay. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. The Mexican-American war was basically a bullshit war. Yeah. But, well, in some ways, though, it wasn't. Because Mexico was supposed to have the best army in the Western Hemisphere. Really? I didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mexico was, you know, Santa Ana yeah. was, oh, yeah. he was referred to as the Napoleon of the West. He was supposed to be a strategic badass. And so in some ways, us picking this fight with Mexico was us also saying like, no, 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 we're the real power here. Yeah. It was strategery. It was. <laughs> I mean, it, that actually was strategery. Yeah. It was kind of on the same level as invading Iraq for no apparent reason whatsoever. But yeah. But unlike that, we got out of Mexico, right? Right. And we paid for it. Yeah. We paid for that one. We still got part of Mexico, though. We did. Yeah, that was we, a good prize. We did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was great. We got all the best parts. It was great. Yeah. What do you think is the reason that we have such a, you know, because I'm going to ask the question, then I'm going to go back so I don't sound yeah. like I'm stumbling over my words. But what do you think is the reason that we have such a shitty relationship with countries south of the border? But we, outside of oh, like yeah. attacking Trudeau, which just seems like clubbing baby seals at this point, right. like we don't really have any issue with Canada. Right. Like to the point where if we meet in the Olympics, we exchange beer. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. But with countries south of us, do you think that has to do with? Color people's skin. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Because I don't, honest to God, I have no idea why we have such a bad relationship with Mexico. Because in my opinion, be a great friend. Oh, yeah. Great relationship. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I love going there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't go to like Mexico City, but go to the beaches and we know that Americans go there. Right. Right. If you go, it's built around Americans. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, if you look at the um, War of eighteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. right when we invaded Cuba, um, that was the the Theodore Roosevelt War. The Theodore Roosevelt yeah. War, yeah, the one where he got famous. Yep, for charging up the wrong hill. Then, <laughs> That's the best. And then part. having to be rescued by <laughs> Buffalo soldiers, who he later imprisoned. But yeah. <laughs> That part's not it's, the best part. That's not the best part. No. But, you know, so, yeah, funny how Theodore Roosevelt couldn't read a map. Just sort of seems natural, right? Yeah. But, you know, if you look at that war and the lead up to that war, the United States really got involved in it because the Cuban um, 
independence fighters were about to win. They were about to overthrow the Spanish. They were very, very close to overthrowing the Spanish. Uh And so we get involved because we're worried about them becoming a completely independent country that far off the border. This is a reoccurring theme, that far off the (laughs) border of America, right? We want to make sure that they in some way owe us. But if you look at the way in which that war is... um, personified in American journalism. And especially if you look at like political cartoons, the Cubans are always shown as being infantile, right? Like we have to go rescue our baby, our Brown baby brothers to the South. Right. And you see those themes sort of over and over again. And if you go back further, right. Think about like the 1830s, right. Uh, When Bolivar is going up and down South America, freeing South American countries from Spain and Portugal Mm -hmm. and instilling democracy, right? Were we involved? No, we weren't involved in that at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, so it really does, I think, come back to wait, wait, wait. We weren't involved in a. With a guy that was freeing people I, that weren't white. I know. Amazing. That's right? crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Why would we not back Why them would in we not do that? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it really has to do with ethnicity. Yeah. Right. It, and it has to do with, you know, traditional American ideals about white people versus brown people. Yeah. And that is a really fucked up part of our history. It's a totally fucked up. Yeah. Part, I mean, and that's, it a, it's not just it like, you know, getting on the, you know, the, you know, slavery is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. It's like when you, when we've had the conversation that we've had today and you really look back, it's like we haven't backed countries that would have flocked to us because we looked at the yep. color of their, the skin of their leaders and said, man, nah, not for us. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the communists were smart enough at that point to go, that you're care. for us. Right. You're good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you hate everybody and everything? Fantastic. Come on board and, and this and that actually was one of the problems in fighting the Cold War. Like at times when things would actually get down to blows, like in Vietnam, right? When African American soldiers would get captured, they would be treated very well by the Vietnamese. And the Vietnamese would say things like, You really want to fight for a country that thinks you're less than human? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem real smart. Well yeah, it's like, you know, Jesse Owens and Yeah, absolutely like nineteen thirty six six Olympics. It's like talking about, you know, what do you think of Hitler? And it was like, he never called me the N-word. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> absolutely. Right. And like the modern civil rights movement really gets spawned by that experience that African-American soldiers have overseas in France. Yeah. Where there are no rules about who can do what based off your skin color. And they're just treated as equals. And mm-hmm. then they come back to the United States. and like, what happened? Yeah. I thought we were going to be equals now. Yeah. Nope. Even though you fought for your country and helped yeah, to help another absolutely. power, absolutely not. Well, like that's Muhammad Ali, right? Like I'm not going to go over there and kill other poor brown people, right? Like, I'm yeah, not going to do absolutely. that. And it's like, well, yeah. When you, especially right. when you know the history of it, you're like, well, absolutely. Why not just you, yeah, but fuck yeah. Why would you do that? Yeah, right. So they took him out of the prime of his career, and he was just like, hey, fuck you, right no away, <laughs> right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's and it's interesting when you look at. Ali and what he did and, you know, certain other individuals that have kind of stepped up and said, I'm going to stand against this Mm -hmm. and the people's reaction at the time, you know, a lot of people were not big fans of Muhammad Ali for that reason. Like everybody realizes boxing prowess, but people just like you would expect, like, well, you need to serve your country and do this, that, and the other. 
And we had a very different relationship with our military at that time, too. Yeah, absolutely. So he had a different kind of fan base than he would right, right now doing something like that. Although, I mean, you know, take Kaepernick, for example. Yeah. Right. That's He's who I was alluding to. Basically <laughs> yeah. been blackballed from the NFL. Yeah. Compare his trespasses with, say, Robert Kraft. <laughs> right? And yeah. And... I think that we can all objectively agree that what Robert Kraft has done, yeah, um, in at least participating in an ancillary way in sex slavery, yeah, is infinitely worse than taking a knee during the pledge of or during the national anthem, yeah. But what's going to end up happening? Well, and like in Robert Nothing. Kraft is like the calm guy, right? Like, he just got it. Like if we're just being honest. Robert Kraft got a hand job from a masseuse that was involved in the sex slave, right. or as a sex slave. Yeah. Like he might've done this a thousand times. Just been like, I didn't realize they were there. I just knew I got went in there and got a hand job. I mean, it could be, but no matter what the case is, like he, like in my opinion, he's still the calm version because you look at a dude like Jim Ersay. Oh yeah. yeah. And the oh, shit he's sure. done. He's like, for sure. He's like river Phoenix on steroids. Right, most of right. the time. Like, it's just like, he's high as fuck. He's yeah. half drunk yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. He's been arrested twice. Twice at least, I think. Yeah. yeah. With like prescription pills that were not his. Right. And he's a billionaire. So he's he probably could so get his own. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, that was just like when I heard that story, I was like, well, that's pretty fucked up. Right. But like if we're thinking this is the this is the crazy one. No, no, that's actually Ooh. yeah, he's But yeah, but with regard to Kaepernick, and I can say like because I have, you know, friends and family members that are in law enforcement, it's a really weird line because sure. you know, and most of the time, you know, you've probably met cops that are amazing human beings, mm -hmm. intelligent, good dudes. Unfortunately, you've probably also met some real assholes. Uh, sure. And just like we've talked about this entire podcast, it's like, heaven forbid we have a conversation where we talk about both yeah oh yeah no like, we're definitely not going to do that yeah right you know the guy that's closest to me in law enforcement that you know would run into a burning building sure. to save anyone sure a, you know anyone from a kid to a crackhead like yeah <laughs> right do it Absolutely. in a heartbeat wouldn't question it and you know that you also know that in his same department like there's a video mm -hmm. of a guy and they abandoned him immediately, which I loved because it was like the department realized how fucked up this was, but they like fucking this guy like drags a kid who was seizing like to a curb. And oh, just drops yeah. Him. yeah. 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 It's like, and they were just like, Nope, you're a fucked up person. Get out of here. But you see all that. And then Kaepernick comes out and he's going, you know, he's making a, he's creating a social commentary, all his own. And for him, it's gotta be good to look around and see that people know his name and sure. why. I really think where Kaepernick fucked up, and this was the moment that I had a problem with him, was when he wore the socks that had cops as pigs. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. no, like, with all due respect, you can't do that. Right, right. Like, you have to know, if that's, if you know that you're going to be that guy, you have to know what that involves. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, when you think about Martin Luther King, for example, right? Like, why is it that we revere him so much? Like, there were lots of civil rights leaders. Mm -hmm. It's because the dude got the shit kicked out of him multiple times, but kept it together. Yeah. Right? He never showed up with the cops or pigs socks. Yeah. Right? Because he knew that that would weaken his brand. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's, you know, that that's kind of the problem that we're running into now is that, that we have these people who are 
voices for things, but they're they're having problems living it twenty four seven. Right? It's hard to be a saint, especially in the social media world oh, that we live man. in now. But if you're going to put yourself out there, you sure as hell better be one. Yeah, because otherwise you're going to get killed for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the number of politicians that have just gone down for going down, I guess, <laughs> or yeah. having others do that too. Right. But I mean, the amount of politicians that have gotten their ass absolutely handed to them because they did things like that, because they had these minor infractions, you know, right. these lapses in judgment. moral judgment. Yeah. It's like, okay, maybe they're a bad guy, but I, just honest to God, can we, can we take a look at what they're doing? Right. Can we take a look at what, like, I can't remember who was the, um, I can't remember if it was the New York attorney general or governor or mayor that like got caught banging his, like a 19 year old prostitute or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it was the governor. I think, I was, think it, it was a prostitute. Yeah. 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 But Spitzer, it, Spitzer, Spitzer, that's yeah. him. <clears throat> yeah. But like when he was attorney general, I guess he was like responsible for putting like cases together that would just like bury certain banks. Like yeah. they were found like doing fraudulent transactions sure. And he was like wholly responsible for leading that charge. It's like, and he was having sex with a prostitute. Right. In New York. Right. Like, okay, we might want to take this a step up. Like Anthony Weiner, very different case. Uh, Underage kids and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Put that dude in jail. But Spitzer, come on. Like, we have to look at this stuff and just say like, what what are you willing to let go? Because if I can find a good, per, like not a good person, but if I can find a great politician that has some good ideas and has the ability sure. to enforce them, if he gets a BJ on the side and he's a single guy, I don't care. Well, and, <laughs> and this is kind of one of the problems we seem to be running into in our democracy, which is that we are scaring off very capable, competent people mm-hmm. because they're not, saints yeah right and democracy wasn't made for saints no so to sort of have that expectation weirdly the only person that doesn't apply to is trump which which i don't understand why i think just because he owns it well i I think you could be right yeah he doesn't apologize for any of it right and so i think that it's easy just to sort of dismiss it or even celebrate it in some weird ways yeah but if we continue to do this, we're going to get to a point where our best and our brightest don't want to be involved in government. Yeah. Elon Musk, Musk smoked a joint on Joe Rogan's podcast and he got crucified. Yeah, for he it. got destroyed for <laughs> it, right? And that podcast probably happens in California where that's where legal. Where it's totally legal. Right, yeah. yeah. So what would be the problem with that? So, you know, it's we are we're in a weird, weird, weird place in our culture where we don't allow people to make mistakes and we want everyone to be perfect. Yeah. And we're just not. And this mm. kind of goes back to that thing about the Constitution and the founding fathers, right? Like yeah. those dudes were definitely not perfect. No. And our constant insistence that they were only furthers what only we're, going, furthers through what we're now. going through now exactly. where we have that same expectation of everyone. And it's just ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, the Hamilton thing where they were accusing him of, you know, obviously cheating on his wife. Sure. And he did. And we know he did without question because he wrote a fucking pamphlet about it. Right. Right. Just like, I'm going to own it. And what happened? He got crucified even more. Right. And that's a different time and everything like that. But sure. it's still what happened now. But, you know, Everybody kind of knows the general idea of what Jefferson did. Right. There's no real question about it. No. But he hit it. Hamilton had the, like, I guess 
gentlemanly air to him to only hint at it. Right. He never actually came out and said it, but Jefferson did that and he's looked at as like a fucking saint to some mm-hmm. people. Yeah, like, absolutely. No, this absolutely. dude was not a saint. No, no, he was <laughs> farthest he, from a saint. Yeah, uh, he was an absolute, like there was no question he was an adulterer. Absolutely. There was no question that the people that he was being an adulterer with were not exactly people Didn't that really could give consent. Option. Right, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, to accuse Hamilton of being some, you know, horrible person, it's like, ah, right. was he? You're not like Jefferson was. No. I mean. And then to also, like, be a coward in a lot of people's minds for what he, you know, didn't do in the war. Right. Whereas Hamilton would like go to the breach and ask to be like right on the front lines. But we right. have this weird thing where we, and I think now it's good because the musical came out and everybody loves Hamilton because right. of that. Right. But it's like a, in a historical perspective, like you've got to look at these guys for what they were. Mm-hmm. The guy that basically built our treasury department for a long time, a lot of people... Oh, go ahead. Really built modern America. Yeah. Right? I mean, he, like, really laid the foundation for what the country would be. Yeah. And he f- funded it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. figured out a way to fund it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That's a better way to put it. He figured out a way to fund it. Yeah. I mean, he... And this was a guy... This is the best... And this is where we're going to kind of probably get into a little bit of a... I don't think anything that we disagree on, but probably um, explaining certain things away a bit. But this was a guy who wasn't technically a 13 colonies American. No, definitely no. not. He was, you know, from, oh, fuck, what was the actual island? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't ever yeah. remember either. But, you know, he was on Caribbean Island, grew yeah. up around like the bad slave trade where they yeah, bring him in, absolutely. beat him, see who could handle it, and then send him on to the colonies. Mm-hmm. Like grew up in the worst side of it, which is why he was an abolitionist. He mm-hmm. fucking hated seeing that. Right. Came up here because people believed enough in his intelligence. Yeah. Where they funded his education. He went through all of this shit. And that's like the best imic- like I he was in a colony, but that's kind of a great immigrant story. Absolutely. And we have to look at those things and go, the guy that helped to fund our system, the guy that created all these things who built modern America, not modern America, but built America. I mean, yeah, but he was an immigrant that had, that actually got shit on by a lot of people because he was, well, it is, it's interesting that in America where we celebrate these pull yourselves up by your bootstrap stories, it's only in the last, what, seven years or so that Alexander Hamilton's really sort of made it back into yeah. popular imagination, even though he kind of personifies that. And then the people we do hold up were all born into wealth. Oh, yeah. Well, Washington was like the luckiest dude on earth because people just yeah. ended up dying around him. Yeah. And giving him like mass amounts of wealth. Yeah. And I think people also ignore the fact that Washington was the wealthiest person in America. Yeah. When before the revolution happened, mm-hmm. he owned Ohio. Yeah. Basically, the whole state of Ohio he owned. Yep. I mean, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, you have these guys that are well known and sort of we have this idea about them and you know, all this lore around them, but they're not what we have portrayed them to be. No, but Hamilton is. Yeah. And Hamilton gets largely sort of ignored. I think some of that is probably because of his untimely death. Yeah. You know, if he had lived longer, although he could have never been president that by the way is written into the constitution to prevent Hamilton from becoming president. Yes. Um, and people don't realize that's pretty much the only reason. The only reason, because yeah. everybody was an immigrant at that yeah. time, right? 
And uh, but they knew he would. I mean, he basically was Washington's presidency in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely, he was. Yeah, absolutely, he was. Yeah. And, you know, he would have been, he if he had been able to be president, he would have been elected president eventually, I'm yep. sure. Um, but, you know, like, but maybe not, though, because something like really strange in American history happens with Adams. Yeah. When, you know, when Adams loses the presidency, in large part because of the things with the press and, mm-hmm. you know, banning immigrants and, and doing some of these things that, yeah. that he did to try to limit opposition to his government, he essentially kills off his political party. Yeah. Right? So the, Yeah, because, um, what was it, Democrats or Democratic Republicans? It was Democratic or, Republicans and Federalists. Yeah, he and they took over for 24 years. 24 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the era of good feelings is what historians call it. Oh, is it? And Yeah, because <laughs> you only have one political party. Yeah. Right? And there's no other time in American history where you only have one political party. Yeah. I mean, even after the Civil War, the Democrats are still around. Right. right. Even though they caused the war, they're still. When it was a huge deal at that point because people knew they'd win. Yeah. Absolutely. In Southern states. Like, oh, that's why a lot yeah, of Southern states no didn't come back into the fold to have representatives absolutely, yet. Right. Yeah. yeah we're going to keep you out because uh-huh. we know you'll just reelect the same assholes that started this whole thing. Yeah. But the, you know, in the era of good. So you have this 24 year period where federalists can't get elected to anything. Yeah. Outside of like the New England states. Mm-hmm. Right. And. But that would have been problematic for Alexander Hamilton because that was his crew. Yeah. And so he maybe he wouldn't actually have been elected president because the country seemed to have soured yeah. on that idea of an expansive, robust federal government. Yeah. Um, but maybe not. I mean, you know, he was relatively young, right? Mm-hmm. So he might have been able to outlive that period. And yeah. maybe we would talk about Alexander Hamilton instead of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Which... Well, I mean, even... I think potentially James Monroe. Yeah. Or yeah. Or yeah. Because I mean, at that point you're at the very end of it. Right. Monroe is not very popular. He Mm-mm. just happened to be like basically the last founder standing. Yeah. And he hated James Monroe. He hated James Monroe. Yeah. He would have run against him for yeah. sure if he had yeah. lived. So yeah. So I don't, it, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the founding generation and the way they end up unfolding the, the actual history of it is infinitely more interesting than the mythology. Yeah. Which is something it's like, because normally when you think about mythology, you're trying to enhance a story and really you don't, you kind of know, you kind of kill it in this, Not in, this in this case. Yeah. You don't, yeah. unless you give them mythical powers in your mythology, yeah. <laughs> you've just made them one dimensional humans. Yeah. Which you kind of interesting. I would argue that you kind of do as well with um, like Washington crossing the Delaware. Right. Like you kind of give them mythical powers. Oh yeah. It's not like Washington wasn't just like, you know, in the picture that everybody thinks of when you bring that up. Right. It's like, he's standing on the boat proud right. and tall. It's like, bitch, it was like, Two degrees under zero. Right. Like it was freezing ass cold. They were huddled. What made him awesome was he was the last person off. Sure. But you better sure as shit know he was huddled in the boat like everybody else. And and, <laughs> and the other thing too is that like people, it's funny. I always think it's sort of interesting that we hold up that moment in our national mythology because mm-hmm. two reasons. One, a gentleman did not make war in winter. Yeah. 
So what he was doing was against the rules of war anyways, which yeah. was kind of like a theme with Washington. He always kind of pressed that a little bit. Yeah. It's like, I've got to win. Right. Yeah. The other part of that was <laughs> it was a total desperation play. Oh, yeah. Like, this was not, th- this is not what you do from a position of power. No. Or from confidence. It's like, we're all freezing to death and starving. I'll bet they're freezing to death and starving. Let's surprise them in the middle of winter when we're not supposed to. And I'll bet we can snake out an easy win. Yeah. And, and he did. That's what it was. Yeah. And yeah. it could have easily just just as easily been a retreat. Like, I'm going to oh, get further away. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's it's good when you look at it in terms of modern warfare. But I right. bet around 1812, they were like, bitch, he crossed the Delaware. We're going to burn your castle to the ground. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then when the British come back in 1812, yeah. right, and do things like burned down the White House, yeah. which most Americans don't realize happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, 1812 was a weird war. It's kind of like, but but people are, you know, it's it makes total sense why the British would do this because they had lost the revolution not that much earlier. Mm-hmm. And they lost it largely because the Americans re- refused to play by the rules of war. Yeah. Right? And so they were pissed off and they wanted their revenge. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever seen Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. You watch yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember in the first season when Bronn fights the knight that's like all clad in armor and the eerie, like with the moon door and everything? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're totally Bronn in that situation. Totally, yeah. Like, when he like kills the guy in the end and pushes him through the moon door yes. and she's like, you don't fight with honor. And he's like, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. totally us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's, and the, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways it makes sense because that's what you got to do when you're fighting. Yeah. It's like when we fought Vietnam. Largest, you know, force in the world. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that, we, you know, we, we just have to take all of that into account when we're celebrating our national history. Yeah. Well, I think you have to appreciate it too. It's like if you want to write the story of Washington, you can write it in a heroic context. Sure. Here's a guy who messed up a lot, but guess what? He kept going, found opportunities to win, won when he had to, and then in the end, guess what? We held on just long enough to make the British fuck up, back up to Yorktown, and we took him. Yeah. Like, and he held on, and then he gave, like, and this is the most, like, um, heroic thing about Washington he fucking gave up that power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody did that. Even King George, who he just beat the shit out of, said something to the effect of like, if he actually does give up his power, he's the best person alive. There, there's like one other example in human history. It's Cincinnati, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, of he was, somebody being like, okay. He was the general of Rome. I'm done. I'm going to go back to my farm. I'm going back to my farm. Yeah, that's right. why they had the Cincinnati Society, I think. Right, yeah. It's yeah. because of him. Absolutely. And they equated him to George Washington. Right. And then, he, but that's the other thing. He comes back and he's the first elected president. Well, he didn't two, really want to be, though. I know he didn't want to be, but he still was. Yeah. And he gave it up after two terms. Yes. Right. And so, again, he gives up power. Right, yeah. They would have elected him until twice. he died. Yeah, he, so, for sure. But I mean, that's to me. You don't have to make shit up about him, no, to make him a hero. No, you can talk about his flaws and the fact that he loved the ladies. Sure. Still, one of my favorite things about the the last book I read about him was just like all the balls that he would go to. Sure. Yeah. I was like, Martha didn't give a shit. She was like, Ah, he's loyal, but he's gonna like dance with the ladies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
One or two times he might not have been, but we can't prove which, it. But. Which is interesting because the <laughs> dancing at that time was not exactly erotic. No. Uh, it, you know, or I guess. You can, yeah, but when you're wearing 15 layers of clothing, right, and right, that's the only right. time you can actually like, you know, touch somebody. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. If you're not, <laughs> ben, if you're not each ben Franklin. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was also in France a lot. Uh, yeah. Which I assume was, was a, a bit different. different <laughs> very different cultural experience. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. That guy. To me, he's one of the more, like, truly, truly interesting people. Like, Hamilton has a great story. Theodore Roosevelt has an amazing story. Like, I would absolutely put Theodore Roosevelt ahead of everybody as the most interesting person. But Ben Franklin is... Ben Franklin's America. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. He is. Like, yeah, I didn't uh, do anything except, you know, discover electricity, fuck everyone drink all the time to the point where when he got to the constitutional convention, they were carrying him in because of his gout. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way you want to do it. Exactly. Well, his gout was so bad that when he met Washington, because it was, I guess it was going to be like either he or Washington that were president of the convention. And he met him at his house with gout, keeping him in a chair. Right. With a beer. Yeah, of course. Like what a badass. He's a bad you give him a wife beater t-shirt and, you know, a pickup truck and we're good to go, man. Well, but <laughs> in an interesting way, like Franklin has, you know, this love of innovation and science and he sort of like flaunts the rules of society in some ways, but at the same time upholds them as the proper course. Mm-hmm. Right. Is he the ultimate do as I say, not as I do guy? Well, it it's I I don't know it it's he's there there's something within our culture right yeah. and this is why I say he's like the ultimate American there's mm-hmm. something within our culture that wants so desperately to be upright and earnest and also just really wants to go to a kegger <laughs> and and that was Ben Franklin and yeah. his whole life was about sort of going back and forth between these two ends of what America is. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that he ever really resolved it for himself or he did. And, and I don't know that we ever, we've really kind of figured it out. Yeah. You know, it, it's, I mean, we put him on the hundred dollar bill and then rappers called him Benjamins and there couldn't have been anything more perfect. Yeah, he would love that. I'm sure. I'm sure he would think that was great. Yeah. You know. It's like you're throwing me in the air. Yeah, throw right. me in the air. On ladies? Yeah. Okay. Make a rain. You know? <laughs> and but but I mean that's what he's he he captured all that we're capable of and all the questions we have about ourselves yeah. in one person, in one time. It doesn't totally make sense, but he was so far, he was the Elon Musk of his time. Yeah. So he was so much further ahead than everybody in their thinking about the world and his world perspective that in so many ways, the things that he was trying to figure out and do internal battle with are the exact same things that we're still struggling with today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it, it's such an interesting thing that he was, we think about him as without question, one of the, you know, if you think founding fathers, you probably think Washington, Ben Franklin. Yeah, ben. absolutely. And he was 80 at yeah. the Constitutional Convention? Yeah, it was, I think it was 80. Yeah. I mean, he, it's not like he was fighting in the war. He was overseas, making yeah. sure France yeah. was our friend. Like He wasn't necessarily probably the most, I want to say, 
prominent American while America was forming, like in it, or at least at war in the revolution. Yeah. But everybody knew him. Everybody appreciated him. We put him where he absolutely needed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then he comes back and is one of the best voices for like it's it's just strange to me because I his lifetime was spent in the colonies, mm-hmm. but he defines America. Absolutely. The country itself. And that's an interesting position to be in because you think Washington, it's like he started it. Right. He was the kickstart for the nation. But not really. But Franklin, well, I just mean like the general during the war. Yes, yes. President of the Constitutional Convention, first president. Like he was the kickstart of like, we've got to get here. Right. But Franklin was really the, I don't know what position. who we are. Yeah. Right? Because it's Franklin who embraces innovation. Yeah, that's it, true. It's Franklin who embraces technology, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, Franklin who has this interest along with Hamilton in the industrial, in the coming industrial revolution. Yeah, which that's amazing that they both saw that. Well, it was, you know, one of the interesting things about being an American is that we always look back at 1776 and we're like, ah, the Declaration of Independence, that's the most important thing that happens that year. The most important thing that happens in the year 1776 is that Adam Smith visits a needle factory, Mm -hmm. right? Because he goes and he visits this needle, you know, for most of human history, clothing was one of the most expensive things you could buy. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the cloth and it wasn't because of the labor. It was because of the needles you needed in order to make clothing because they all had to be handmade. Adam Smith goes to a factory where they're making needles and they're able to pump them out, you know, hundred a minute or something ridiculous yeah. like that. And he's looking at this and he says, well, because this is such a new industry and nobody has had a chance to sort of impose governmental oversight over it. And as would often happen in England to say that this Baron is the only person who can do this. Mm-hmm. Right. It was basically the free market. Somebody innovated and they designed something new. And this is where he gets the idea for the free market because he says, okay, if we would just stay out of the way of innovation, Mm -hmm. we can bring down the cost of all of these consumer goods and the free market will just do its thing and we'll all be better off for it. He writes later that year, um, the wealth of nations, right? (laughs) That's actually significantly more important to human history than the Declaration of Independence in 1776. So while on one hand, it's like kind of interesting that Ben Franklin and Alexander Hamilton are sort of looking at the, this new world and saying, we need to make way for industrialization and factories and things of this nature. Yeah. They weren't exactly like perceiving that on their own. They were definitely seeing it through the lens of Adam Smith, mm-hmm. whose works had now been you know well distributed and circulated even in the new world. Yeah. And so they knew what was coming if they could just get out of its way. Yep. And so that's what they did. Dude, you should never go to CPAC. You can't say that the most significant event in the history of mankind. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they were all about free markets at CPAC. <laughs> 7076 is our year. It's not, no, it's not it's, a needle factory's year. It's not our year. I mean, uh, 13 backwaters colonies trying to declare independence is just not that important. Yeah, it eventually becomes that it important, becomes but important, it, but, but it's also time, because of what he did that it becomes important. But to me, that is amazing because, and I, honestly, I didn't realize that Ben Franklin had the same mentality about it. Yeah, but, like that's one thing that's very interesting to me when you look at Hamilton versus like the Jeffersonians. It's right. like 
Hamilton realized like the way to build this country well and faster mm-hmm. is to have cities that are manufacturing right. hubs. And Jefferson was like, nope, we got to grow shit. Right. Like, right. Says the guy who doubled us in size. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, but of course he wanted to double in size because he wanted more agricultural land. Yeah. Right. But that's, the, you know, Hamilton, whether he understood the, I mean, I seriously doubt he understood like the economic idea. Right. But, but he had sort of a fundamental intrinsic understanding of the basic velocity of money. Yep. People spend, it grows. Yep. You know, and that was his whole, his whole idea, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we can just figure out a way to increase economic activity, we'll be fine. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. And what's the best way to do that to create economic centers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And, mm-hmm. and to create financial institutions. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, people bemoan banks and things of that nature because they're able to create money and wealth off of having money and wealth. Yeah. And certainly there is something to criticize in that, especially from the, that Jeffersonian worldview that, you know, you should only have wealth based off of what you physically create. Yeah. Not this just, you know, I'm throwing money in, so I create more money. Yeah. However, that has been such a important part of securing some degree of financial stability in this country. 100%. Through things like retirement and investments and things of that nature. Yeah. So, you know, like Hamilton's, vision of America, even though it certainly left some people out and continues to leave some people out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a lot of people, I find myself saying things like, well, big bank shouldn't be allowed to do that. You know, we need regulations on this, especially (laughs) after like the great recession. Of course. How do you walk away from that? Not thinking the banks needed to be, you know, spanked a little bit. On the other hand, the free market has been so instrumental in increasing financial stability. Mm-hmm. Um, because know. it's the quickest thing to take away everything you have. Absolutely. I mean, that's the to me, that's the scariest and best part about it. Right. And you know, especially when you're talking about banks, you know, one of the one of the things that I really appreciated, I heard um, an interview with Ron Paul when all this was happening, and they mm-hmm. were like well, why would you let GM go? It's like, no, I'd let GM restructure. It's like, that's how this works. Right. And they were like, well, what if, you know, they they went at auction and they sold a factory and it only, you know, it sold for nothing. Like somebody just took it. It's like, then it shows you it's not worth anything. Right. Yeah. And we shouldn't, you shouldn't have borrowed on it anyway. You shouldn't have a loan against it because if it's not worth anything, it's not worth anything. Right. It's like, and that's the free market system that we, that I love. Right. You know, the, I think where a lot of people get confused on the free market system in, in our country and many other countries is you don't have a free market when you have like the quote unquote, like the term is always crony capitalism. Right. It's like when you're just throwing out benefits and you're helping one bank over another, that's not the free market. No. Sometimes you do just have to fucking let them fail. Yeah. Because but, uh, their assets are going to go to somebody else that's going to hold them and they're going to make more money. Right. Like, but as far as like bankruptcy and foreclosure and that kind of thing, like, I mean, our, we, uh, our old house was a great example. It's like these people had because of the recession and what like prices just dropped down to, right. They built this house for what now would be about right. And about, I think they built it for right over half a million. We bought it sure. for three twenty five. Right. It's like, that's a correction. I mean, that's yeah, what it's no, for. That's and what it's supposed to happen. Yeah. And there's a lot of factors that go in that. But the fact of the matter is they owed more on a house than right. what it was worth. They sold it in a short sale. We purchased it for its market value. Done. But you have to let it happen. Yeah. And it's going to hurt. 
Yeah, and I, that, it sucks. Like you're, we're not really used to pain in this country. No anymore. No, like no, we're, no, no. we're uh, the greatest generation is they've been dropping like flies for twenty years, and I mean. You look at some of the stuff that, like, my grandparents, I'm sure your grandparents yeah. dealt with. It's like saving pennies, saving nails out of walls and stuff like that because right. they could reuse it. Yeah. They knew what pain was. Well, and that's, you know, like, I get irritated by that constant question that comes up with, you know, will this be the first generation to do worse than their parents' generation? It's like, <laughs> that idea is less than 70 years old. Yeah. Like there was zero expectation in all of human history that you would be better off than the generation before you. Yes. Up until the prosperity that came from World War II. And that's just prosperity for us because the rest of the world was destroyed, right? Yeah. So so Yo, we, we have this funky... We were good over here. We had a harbor that was fucked up. Yeah, right. And that was about it. Yeah. Everything <laughs> else was fine. And yeah. so we have this like very strange belief that everything should automatically be better off than it was. Yeah. Right, but you can't have constant economic growth. No, you just can't. No, that it doesn't work that way. Gain correction, gain correction. And you just hope that that line goes up and to the right. Absolutely, yeah. right. But over time, it should in inevitably work itself out. Right, okay. and this is like one of those great problems we have with capitalism in this country is that we can't, we haven't been able to figure out how it is that we want to offset that. Yeah. Right. We, we realize it has to be offset somehow. Mm -hmm. There's to be some sort of humanitarian offset. And so going back to Roosevelt, you know, that's really what the New Deal is about. Like, how do we round off the edges of capitalism so that yeah. we don't overthrow the system and people don't starve to death? Yeah. Right. And this is where it's interesting because you get this intersection between trying to make capitalism a little bit kinder and a little bit softer and then you also get this combination of national interest, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and this is my primary problem with where the Democratic Party is today. And this is one of the reasons why I'm going to, you know, I will challenge you a little bit on your, your take on Roosevelt. Because nothing that happened within the New Deal was for free. Yeah. Right? Like, if you got involved with the Civilian Conservation Corps, you may pull a paycheck, but you were out making trails. 100%. Right? Whereas we get to the 1970s and all of a sudden there seems to be this shift in the way that we sort of address these issues with capitalism. And now all of a sudden we want to talk about benefits and mm -hmm. we want to talk about welfare and paying people to do nothing. Right. Yeah. Well, in your general concept on like you're out doing things, I totally agree with. Yeah. You're not getting a reward for nothing. Right. And that to me is totally fine. Now I can agree and disagree and probably find a million people that will be able to dominate me in a debate about why I'm wrong about the economic viability of the government being in charge of that as opposed sure. to the private sector. Oh, sure, sure. So that is just going to be a, an argument as old as time. My issue is, and this goes to where we're at now, because this is where what I was talking about earlier, like basic financial education yeah. really needs to be oh, sure. way more in depth than it is now. Because I hear so many people, and this is people who, these are voices from all sides, mm -hmm. left to right, libertarian, right. everywhere, that talk about Social Security. And when they bring up Social Security, the first thing that I hear about is like, well, I've paid into it all my life. I better get my money back. It's like, right. well, unfortunately, that's not how it works. Right. It's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, no, it's totally a Ponzi and, scheme. And people don't believe you. They're like, it's not a Ponzi. A Ponzi schemes are illegal. It's like, 
unless you're the government. Right. Then it's killing a million and a half people is illegal too. Right. But we've been at war. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like people don't understand that it is a Ponzi scheme. And in in the beginning, I think it was 14 to one for every 14 people that were working. You paid for one individual that was on social security. Right. Now, it's something like four to one. Yeah. And the only reason it's four to one is because millennials are the largest generation mankind, or I shouldn't say mankind, the United States of America has ever seen. It's yeah. far bigger than the baby boomers were. Right. So that's the only reason it's grown. It was like three. Right. So you've got four people paying into Social Security for every individual. And then the other thing most people don't understand is, and I think this is intentional, is that because the benefits have a cutoff mm-hmm. you're only allowed to make a certain amount of money in social security even if you funded it fully your right, entire life right. because there's only a finite benefit there's only a finite cutoff for when you pay in mm-hmm. so if you're under i think it last time i looked it was 117 it very well maybe a little bit over that but if you make over one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars, right you don't pay it right which is insane it is and i understand the reasoning there's a finite ending benefit yeah, but, but like, it, but it's never talked about. No, no. And when you look at that, it's like, well, if people find out, I bet they'll be pissed. Right. Like, and that's why we don't talk about it because right. they would be. Absolutely. But that to me is the weirdest thing. It's like we created a system where you pay in yeah. so that everybody has some bit of a retirement income. That was the whole right. idea right. that you could stop working at 62 to 67, have some money coming in. It's like, it's kind of like universal basic income, but you have to work your entire life. Right. But the idea that you could privatize it is asinine. You could never privatize it at this point. Well, and imagine the terrible inflationary effect of oh. unleashing that much money on well, the yeah. market. Yeah. That would be insane. hundred percent. Totally yeah. agree. So if you try to privatize it, one, you kill everybody that's taking it now because it's a Ponzi scheme. It immediately collapses. Right, right. Like then you've got to find the other place in our budget that yeah, can't absolutely. pay for it. And now all of a sudden you've tripled, you know, our nation's deficit. So on top of that, you've got mass issues with privatization. Mm-hmm. You can't pull out of the Ponzi scheme as it nope. currently stands. And I bet I would almost venture to guess and I think this number is on the positive side for America. I would venture to guess 90% of Americans don't realize there's a cutoff. Yeah, no, I'm sure that's probably true. So if you have a Ponzi scheme with a cutoff, and in that way looks like it benefits the wealthy, you can right. make the argument it doesn't, but you can absolutely make the opposite argument too. Right. What, what do you do? Well, <laughs> and even worse, when we eventually run into the same problem, every industrialized country which is that you start to get negative population growth. Exactly. Then you're really screwed. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. this is, this is, it is funny because it's like, I feel like every so often it's usually a Republican will be like, social security is going to go bankrupt. It's like, technically well, no, it's not, but you are right in that we have an issue that needs to be addressed here. Yeah. yeah Bankruptcy is not the right word because it's forced. I mean, it's like the income tax. It's right, forced, right. It's forced collection, but you would be correct in the assumption that if by bankrupt you mean we won't be able to pay what we promised? Right. Absolutely. Although it would be interesting to know like what happens with government funding when we stop capping certain taxes. 
Yeah, I've kind of wanted to see what would happen, like how much money you would raise if you just got rid of that cap. Yeah. Not that I'm a big fan. Like I don't I don't like taxes and I Sure, but especially when you know what they go to, but just out of curiosity, would that raise another trillion dollars? Well, and and that one not <laughs> not just social security, but also, you know, the income tax when you you start to cap it gets capped in weird ways for mm-hmm. certain amounts of money. Like if we just got rid of those caps, would that instantly solve a lot of our problems? I kind of wonder if it would. Well, the income tax would, it's, it's, I mean, obviously everybody knows it's a complicated thing, but I feel like the income tax is both the, the bane of our existence and kind of the reason that we're in a positive place. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. like you can, like, I bitch all the time about the deficit. Sure. The reason I bitch all the time about the deficit is because we still raise like three and a half yes. trillion dollars yes. in income. It's like, okay, I disagree with this, but it's a hell of a fundraiser. Oh yeah. And you know, argue its merits all day long, but we have three and a half trillion in our coffers, which is just an insane amount of money. We just spend more, which is dumb. But you know, when you think about like some of the taxes that have been brought up, I think the one that was like 50% on anybody who earns over 5 million Mm -hmm. would raise like nothing because it's because at that point you're talking about people, if you're making $5 million a year, right. it's pretty rare. You're a W two or 1099 employee, right? You're probably making that money off of your capital gains right. and even yeah, your dividends absolutely. and stuff like that. So, and dividends, I guess would be taxed at your regular tax rate. But, um, but at that point you're probably just selling off stock and repurchasing it. To I would think, need. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that to me is the, the biggest issue is like, our, our inefficiency in spending is awful, mm-hmm. but what would happen if you got rid of like, we were just talking about like the social security tax. If you just cut that break off just to right. see what happened, would yeah. that be a big chunk of money? Because that's only 2% or two and a half percent of the overall money that you're spending. Oh, it would help though. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny cause there's like the, the flip argument of this mm-hmm. is Medicare for all. <sighs> right. Because that keeps getting brought up. And, uh, yeah, you know, Medicare for all sounds like a great idea, but, but the problem that I keep coming back to is something like one eighth of the American economy is insurance. How do we replace that economic activity? Like, so I I get it, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, we, we, we have a horribly inefficient system here Yeah, and it seems like we should be able to figure out a way to get, make this better. Mm-hmm. But we cannot ignore the fact that these for-profit companies are generating jobs and income. Yeah. And to ignore that part of a solution mm-hmm. is going to just make things worse. Yeah. And you're going to create an even bigger bureaucracy. Absolutely. And we know that that's probably not the most efficient way to do anything. No, no, it's yeah. going to create all sorts of problems. Yeah. So. I mean, and you're right. And I, there was an interview that I listened to. It had to be at less than two years ago because, um, I was living in this house mm-hmm. and, um, they were talking, it was a person that was talking to somebody in the government into the United Kingdom. And they were talking mm-hmm. about like in 1946 or whatever it was, they started like looking at their healthcare system yeah. and kind of completely redoing it. And this was his conversation. And I have no idea how good that system is. Like just sure. Being sure. completely honest. I have no idea if it's shit or if it's great, Yeah, but I appreciated what he said. He's like, it took us nine years. Mm-hmm. It took us nine years of interviewing doctors, you know, mm-hmm. hospital administrators, patients, 
people that had been like everyone from custodians to cancer patients to people that owned a network of hospitals to sit down and create the system we have. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, you could never do that here. No, not right now. No. You couldn't take nine. That's more no. than an administration. No. You could never do that. No, you couldn't do that. No. I mean, when you think about it, like most of the time, and this gets us back to Obamacare, right? You basically, when you get elected president, if you've done a good job of campaigning and sweep some other people into your party in with you, yeah, you have two years. Mm-hmm. You have two years to resolve whatever problems it is that you can resolve. And then we're looking back at gridlock, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah, so there's no way that you could, you know, that's going back to Obamacare. People have all these problems with Obamacare. Like, what did you want the guy to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Medicare for all wouldn't have passed. No. So there's no reason to even have a discussion about that as having been a reality. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we ended up with this kind of wonky system that's fueled by the free market in a lot of ways. But that was the only possible solution. Yeah, it's time. crazy to me that people on the left shit on Obamacare too. Yeah. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Because that's like that, that should, that's kind of the thing he did. Well, and it's kind of, it's funny the way that, especially now in the age of Trump where Democrats have gotten the same idea of having ideological purity, the way that Republicans had for the last 12 years. And so now there is this group of people like AOC and, and some of your other like very progressive members of Congress who are kind of dumping on Obama pretty regularly for having been too moderate and not pushing far enough. Like what, what did you think the guy was going to do? I mean, yeah. and that's also unrealistic. Well, and that's you know? unfair too, because that was his whole message when he was campaigning. Right. Absolutely. Like, hope and change. Hope we're going to reach over. We're not red yeah, Americans. We're absolutely. not blue Americans. We're Americans. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and, who you, I mean, the weirdest thing to me is that Obama halfway through his administration was like, yeah, gay marriage is good now. Right. Initially. No, but right. now, now, it's okay. now we're good. We're yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, dumping up about that shit because you knew he was fine with it. Yeah, like, there's no, not a just, single person on earth no. that looks back and is like, "Can't believe Obama hated you know no. the LGBT community." We all like, knew he was just really? what he had to do to make sure yeah. that old black ladies would still vote for him. Yep, but you know it's yeah it's the, this idea that we're going to all of a sudden wave a wand and fix all of these problems overnight, and that the fix is going to be your exact perception of what the fix should be is completely irrational and in no way jives with the rest of American history. This is my, my same problem with these super progressives we now have in Congress is my same problem with the tea party. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Like you're going to overnight, you were going to scale back the entire federal government. Like, yeah. are you, you thought Ted me? Cruz was your fucking answer? Are yeah. you shitting me? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Like, you know, this is not, this is not irrational. This no. is not a rational approach. No, well, and it, our problems. it can all be tied back to, and not all, but I mean, a, a significant portion of it can be tied back to why aren't you the constitutional convention? Yeah. Why didn't you go in and in nine months come out and fix the government? Right. Like, because they weren't infallible. No. Neither are we. Neither are we. And uh, now we have social media. That's right. <laughs> Making it all worse. Yeah. <laughs> Because now we have to be infallible. Yeah, totally. Right. And I can't imagine a single person that is. No, no, no certainly not. Zero people from my generation. I'm I'm leading the charge on that y- movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, yeah. certainly not. Yeah. Certainly not. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I figure we're right at the uh, the three-hour recording mark. That's insane. Yeah, two hours, 57 minutes right now. 
got to be a record. Yep. So just one quick loop back around. Um, so Corey Gallagher and the Barstow School in Kansas City, Missouri, but basically Leewood. Basically Leewood. And um, captain of the Weathercock and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and history professor there. But, I mean, you've been all around Kansas City. You went to Mizzou for a bit to get your doctorate, right? Yeah, still am. Still am. Not quite finished, but hopefully yeah. soon. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a theme with doctoral candidates. Like, it takes so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Well, didn't you, I can't remember if this was for your master's or your doctorate, didn't you have to read like 50 books or something? Like 50 books? Yeah, I wish. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. For my, uh, for my uh, comprehensive exams for the PhD, I think my list was around 450 oh, books. Oh, my God. That I had to be able to regurgitate on command the argument of the book. I'm never getting my doctorate. Yeah, I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. No, no, no. But that's all. how far do you think you are? Oh, I'll be done by next spring. Nice. Yeah, I just have to write a book. Awesome. Well, what, <laughs> just just write a book. <laughs> yeah, just write fun. a book. It's the easiest thing in the world. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, well, so next time, hopefully, we'll have on Dr. Corey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody actually makes it through three hours of us talking, I'm going to be impressed. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, anytime. Thanks.